Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched The Theory of Everything, directed by James Marsh and released in 2014. Um, the movie is a biopic of Stephen Hawking based on the memoirs of his first wife, Jane. So, yeah, th- this is the other British genius guy movie out this Oscar season. Mm. And um, a bit like The Imitation Game, I-, I liked it more than I was expecting to. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't love it. I liked it more than I was ex- – I was. I went into it going like, oh, what am I getting in for? But I quite – I didn't mind it once I got, in- got going. Here's how I feel about the theory of everything. This is a made-for-TV movie with movie stars in it who act their butts off. Right. That's That's it. To me, the whole thing was just a slightly better than average TV movie. Okay. Because it's so episodic and mawkish and cheesy and, like, the script is not very good. It's not very strong. It's not structurally very strong. But um, Eddie Redmayne and, and Felicity Jones just carry it. They are so good in it. And even in scenes that aren't particularly well written and don't have a lot in them, they can make transcendent and yeah. interesting. I think most of my favourite scenes didn't have any talking in them at all. Mm, they are both excellent in this. But I enjoyed it a lot more than you did, but because it made me think about a lot of things, like I think it's an it's got some interesting things to say about caring and care work and, and the way poor Jane gets maligned. But, of course, you must always remember that this is her book and so – I spent most of the movie thinking, poor Jane, hawking such a little shit. Because basically, and 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 I think from her perspective, it's because he's been disabled from when he was about twenty four, and therefore he started twenty one was when yeah, he gets sorry even younger. Yeah. So he basically he, he's never really cared for himself, and he's always had to rely on women to pick up the slack around him, like somebody to care for him. And I felt and and I felt like that made him immature, but. I think that's only through her perspective. I think he would have a different opinion on it. And I think that her perspective is very ableist, like very – it's from the perspective of being the able-bodied one in the relationship, of being the one who saw him – she went very quickly from seeing him as a partner to seeing him as someone she cared for, like an extra child. And I think there's an interesting tension there. The movie is obviously on her side because that she wrote the movie or she wrote the book that the movie is based on. But I think there's an interesting – at least it gave, gave me something interesting to think about in that sense of the way relationships can change through disability and taking on this pow- the power imbalance of, uh, of bringing caring into it. You've picked up on a couple of things I wanted to talk about in slightly different ways. Um, I'm not convinced by the women aspect just because it seems like his father was a really important care provider before he yeah. married Jane. Yeah, so that's what I mean, though. He basically goes from being cared for by his family to being cared for by Jane. And it I, it um, it um, sort of shows some of this. This is something we'll get to when we talk to, about Selma as well is the sort of the real difficulty of being married to a great man is that he will kind of work on his science, on his greatness, and put everything else to one side. Like he ha- he will rely on them for care, for taking care of the house, for taking care of the admin and the contracts and all that crap. And he just focuses on on like his his thing. He's very single minded. Yeah, um, yeah. So what I wanted to talk about was more. <laughs> 
from a movie-making point of view, I guess. Yep. Which is that the movie starts out from Stephen's perspective, right? It has a lot. Uh, he gets to have his voice. He's very funny. I think Eddie Redmayne's real strength in this movie is not the physical transformation that he goes through, but that he really brilliantly brings to life Stephen Hawking's humanity and his humor and, and mm. his faults and all of that stuff and makes him a real person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he just does a great job of, like, even when he's not able to move as much, still bringing that out in him. Yeah. And that's where I think the strength is. And that's where I think his, you know, Oscar nomination and stuff is coming from rather than just he looks like him. Yeah. Cause that's like, that, that's nothing, you know, just yeah. being able to imitate the mannerisms is one thing, but he actually really puts through an interesting performance. Um, but yeah, it, it starts out from his perspective, but then as soon as he's unable to give his perspective, as much it becomes Jane's yeah and I thought that was where the ableism of the movie and the movie making comes in it stops listening to his voice and respecting it at all yeah and um, he becomes an extra child yeah and I think I am sort of convinced that that's the perspective of Jane because as the able-bodied one but it's also the perspective of the able-bodied filmmakers and the all the able-bodied people around him yeah and then at the end of the but, movie it shifts back to being about him again yeah because it has to because he splits from Jane yeah, and he goes and off so and does his own thing. Then suddenly we get back to seeing and we get back to understanding where he's coming from a little bit more. And I think that was unfair. I think it was there's not a good balance yes. between the two of them. And I would have liked to have seen a good balance between the two of them. Like at the beginning, have it be Jane's story a little bit more. And then in the middle, have it be Stephen's story a little bit more. So there's like a genuine yeah. give and take. This is from his perspective, this is from her perspective, what's really going on here kind of a thing. Um and Stephen yeah. Hawking has his voice you know he is able to communicate he you they should have listened to him as well and mm. i don't think this was entirely fair to him but i also think it's kind of it's it, you know while jane is terrific it, it's a little bit like and, and and i don't want to dismiss what she did um it, it's unfair as a general kind of movie. But I also think this feeds into that thing that I was saying that it's like a TV movie because, mm. like, they didn't really care that much. Yeah. I, they just wanted to get out all of these points in his life, you know. Yeah. He and did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. They broke the period up. it covers is the marriage. It's not his whole life either or his whole life so far. He's still, thankfully, with us. But um, it covers a period in which, like, he, he only – he sort of loses his voice very early on and he doesn't get his, his computer voice for a long, long time. And when he gets that voice, when he... That's he, not that's, really... He can still talk for a lot of he it. Can, he can, but he it start, it really starts to deteriorate mm. and people, especially not who are not his family, start to lose patience with him communicating. Mm. You see them do it. So there is that aspect of but it. But it would makes, have been good to see his frustration right. or see that from his perspective rather yeah, yeah, than yeah. it always being and, from and hers. He doesn't, but, and, and the movie sort of picks up again when he actually gets his... His voice because when he gets his voice he starts to we start to see a lot more of his agency yeah in making decisions about himself but yeah there is that whole big section that yeah is a real has a real just fully ableist lens over it but and it just, just reduces him to being like a child it's not just that it also it stops being about his his friends disappear you know, for a whole chunk of the go? movie. I, I was like, where's Sirius Black gone? And then he comes back right at the end. Because, you know. The, um, Remus the, Lupin. No, no, no. Sirius Black. There's, Remus Lupin is his teacher. And then there's a guy who reminds me of Sirius who's like his best friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it. Like, he has this great group of friends and he's clearly he's in the rowing Harry team. Harry Lloyd. He's clearly fond of a drink. And um, 
he has a has a similar attitude to homework that I have. Like he leaves everything to the last minute. But he has a whole personality, mm. and the personality still shows through. And in he's all clearly the a fun person, right? Yeah. To be around. And they show up at his house for dinner to celebrate him getting his doctorate, and then we never see them again. We and do. Like, they come to the uh, they're at the wedding in shots. Oh yeah, the wedding is like awful, a montage. Oh my god, this was another. I hated those montages because they're so cheap. They're so cheap. They're like vintage photo style montages of clips of them at their wedding over the tinkly, crappy piano score. By the way, the guy who wrote the score for this wrote the score for Foxcatcher. Um, so I actually liked this score. I thought it was really? at least – at least I noticed the score. It was distinctive God, and interesting I and I quite it, enjoyed the, the score of this wow. one. I was so so. I was like, this score is so average. It doesn't enhance this at all. Mm. It's so it's it's so, but it feeds into everything: cheesy, tinkly piano music, right? Uplifting, blah blah blah. Yeah, and then there's um, and of course it feeds into the whole. Um, Jane ends up going off with the piano teacher. Yes, which you know Charlie Cox and his dimples, which was kind of a welcome refreshment, but also it like, was, but that's the but thing. It was, he that was becomes part the, of the problematic nature of it all. Is that we're as relieved as Jane is when he turns up because we're like, oh, another adult. And it's like, well, no, actually there is an adult in this family, but we've had his perspective sidelined because he's disabled and his wife looks upon him as as a child now. Yeah, I mean, I I think within the context of the movie, he doesn't help that much by behaving the way he does. Yeah. Like I was furious with him when he did the whole – your mum's angry with me thing. It's a whole, you know, women oh, yeah, are so no. cute when they're angry. No, it yeah, was awful. He's, he's a little shit, but he's like, he's a known little shit. We know Stephen Hawking, he's he's a known shit and that's fine. That's the character we build up and we kind of like him for it. Like he's 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 cheeky. He's a little, he's kind yes, of- Yes, but you can see where she could get oh, frustrated yeah, no, with I would be him personally, so mad at him. not just because of his disability, but also mm. like he becomes frustrating in the in his unwillingness to Well, then he, 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 up he seems, he starts to act like a child as she starts to see him as a child he's like well, what do you what it. happened first yeah exactly no well, because which, we which know happened? that it did, did her treating him like a child mean that he just starts acting like one yeah but the thing is we know that he was a cheeky little shit before he yeah, before, before he got sick we know about his disability which i mean there are there are signs of it from way before from the beginning of the movie yeah he's yeah, already yeah. uh having yeah. trouble holding uh, pencils and all that right sort of stuff. I, I don't yes i don't think you don't know that you have motor neuron disease and then suddenly you have it like it's obvious that yeah he's getting symptoms yeah and then he doesn't do anything about it and i i, I don't know how much of that was really what happened maybe it was maybe it's a period thing. i think I it was know. i think it was less dramatic than it like he but he'd had a couple of falls and stuff and Oh, bit. that fall. Oh, God. Oh, isn't it awful? Ah, he hits his head. He hits oh. his head. It's so awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some of the stuff that they come up with for the for actually showing what he's going through, I, I didn't need to see that. I can I sympathize without it. Yeah. And then there's also like there's a bit where she, his wife refuses to uh, remove his life support and asks that he have a tracheotomy inserted. And it didn't do a good enough job, I think, of setting up why she would make that decision because what all we've set up in the bit before that is, oh, what a put burden Jane has. Oh, Jane's got this hot young choir director in her. Really, back I don't agree with that, and this is why I don't feel like they set she that up well felt enough. Guilty. That's yeah. That's probably a reason. Within reason. the context of yeah. the movie, it makes it very clear because she's literally slept with Charlie the night before. Charlie, yeah, so she feels guilty. That's not his character's name. <laughs> Jonathan. Isn't it character's name Jonathan? Right, I don't right. know why I remember that. I don't that. know. I just kept calling him the dishy vicar. I don't well, know. Well, because as soon as he showed up, I was like, oh, it's Charlie Cox. Yeah. So for the whole movie, I was calling him Charlie in my head, regardless of what his name was. Mm. 
So she slept with him the night before. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's made to look it's like guilt. it's her guilt. Okay. But I think there's also a thing with Jane. She says early on that people look at her and they don't think she's strong. And I think she's so determined to prove that she is, mm. that that was more a decision about her than him. Although it did end up, I think, being the right decision for him because he went on anyway. But it would have been nice to see more of that spirit in him because he was always – in spite of the things that were going on with him, like he had a very brief period of being, you know, understandably unhappy about it, but he was generally very positive and very kind of, I mean, sometimes that came into things where he was like, no, we're just normal, we're just normal, but you can understand where that's coming from. Yeah. And in general, he was very optimistic. He kept trying all the new things that they were doing. Yeah. You know, and he, he was, he was even sort of, and he was kind of understanding about his wife. And her need to have this other relationship. Yeah, exactly. Like, there was... It was very heavily implied that he knew about it and was supportive It was okay with it. And, like, but it it sort of set up as this love triangle when perhaps in reality it was a different sort of arrangement. And especially for someone like Stephen Hawking who who doesn't seem like he is necessarily constrained by societal rules about monogamy. Like, he would probably not... I I saw this with my sister and I was like, oh, look, threesome. (laughs) And that's all I could think for the whole... Like, it just... Because it seemed like... Charlie and not his name Stephen Hawking were getting along really well too. Yeah, and they I was were. just like, "Go for it!" I was like, "Make out!" <laughs> exactly. Um, and and uh. he was so because his wife had died and he'd been caring for her. He was so understanding of the needs yeah. and he was so cool with it all. And you know, and he would help him fall into the caring relationship when he couldn't mm. without making it seem like any of it was difficult for him. Mm. You know, it was it was really nice. Yeah, I I thought so too, and I thought perhaps the movie undersold that relationship a little bit. Like, I can totally understand how his family would get angry. Like, his father gets really mad about it. Yeah. But I also, at the same time, like, it doesn't seem like it's the worst thing that's ever happened. No, it seemed like it was working for them. So, what's the problem? I don't know. It it did really seem like societal pressures were what made that fall apart rather Mm. than any actual problem between them. Yeah. Like, they could have made that work, it seems like, from the movie. Mm. I don't know what the real situation was. And that's the thing with this is that it is kind of – it's so from one point of view. I mean – Yeah. And and Hawking has also – he has always maintained a very dignified silence on this stuff. Like, he mm. does not respond to this at all. He won't respond to this. Apparently, he – and now that he's split from his second wife, he and Jane have a much better relationship. And the book was rewritten in light of that. Okay, so I, I'd be interested to see what the first version was like. But he's always—he's never spoken out about what is he, about his private life, and I think it's kind of actually missing. That's the perspective that's missing. Clearly, he wasn't—he didn't hate the movie because he supported it enough to let his voice be used and all that kind of stuff. But I think he's—that it really does suffer from missing his perspective. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't want to undersell what they do because Felicity Jones is also just amazing in this. Um, mm. really, really good. And uh, have you heard the story about when Eddie Redmayne met um, Stephen Hawking? No. Eddie Redmayne always has the most wonderful stories. Um, He met Stephen Hawking and you have to wait a while for him to respond to the questions that you ask and the things you say. I think they actually condensed that for the movie because he said he was waiting six minutes. Yeah, because he can only do about 15 words a minute, I think. Mm. And so um, so he he went to meet um, Stephen Hawking and he was really, really nervous and he was talking a lot. 
and he said something about how their birthdays are really close together, so they're both Gemini's or something like that. Oh boy! But it's just this like because it was this kind of stream of consciousness yeah. thing of babbling he was nervous because he was so nervous and uh, and he waits for six minutes in silence in awkward silence and Stephen Hawking Stephen Hawking writes I'm an astronomer not an astrologist. Or yeah, um, he's really funny. Like, there's a that yeah he is. that interview with I think Steve Carell, where he's like, "Do you think there are other universes?" They're talking about parallel universes yeah. and stuff, and he's like, well, "Maybe there's a universe in which you're funny." Like, he's <laughs> hilarious and a little shit, and like yes. his personality is kind of awesome. Yeah, it is. It's like, great, and I like that Eddie Redmayne really brought that right. out. Like, and, he, and really he really kind of communicates it yes. all the way through, even when he he's, he's not able to talk and yeah. All that and stuff. and he does that in addition to getting all the physical stuff right. Yeah. So um and there's these really nice scenes like I'm I'm talking about it. There's so much I didn't like about it, but mostly because I was so d- bored for a lot of it, which is kind of like I was watching it on TV and I wanted to play on my phone or something, or oh. I kept talking to my sister because I just wasn't I wasn't bored engaged by the movie as a movie mm. even though i liked the performances in it so when it wasn't the two of them together i kind of drifted a lot right. um but uh there's these great scenes like the one when he gets his head stuck in the jumper <laughs> yeah yeah and that like is is a source of humor for the audience like you're not laughing at him because he's like oh this is he ridiculous. also thinks yeah, it's yeah, funny he also because he, funny. he's also like because at that point he actually does step up he says We've got a baby and the baby needs its mother. Mm. I need to suck it up and work out my jumper myself. Yeah, and that, that moment is, is sweet and she comes in to help him, you know, because he's got his head stuck and it's it's a funny, nice moment. Mm. Um, there's this moment where he's in the bath and he can't open his hand that I thought was amazing. Mm. Um Oh my god, that bit was so. I was worried in the trailer. That looked a bit mawkish in the trailer. That was amazing. More in, stuff like that would have been great. Yeah. Right, like more um, their their first date. The the weird like the posh awkward flirting stuff was really funny. <laughs> it, was, it was so much posh awkward flirt. Like yeah. it was so kind of let's go and play croquet <laughs> stuff. But it was like yeah, um, and it was interesting to watch them go from that to this much more real stuff. It was quite interesting. Yeah, things like that. The the scene when uh, most of the good scenes are in the trailer. I think the scene when uh, Sirius carries him up the stairs. Yeah, and yeah, puts yeah. Him in up the arms in of the Queen statue. Victoria. <laughs> that was great. There are so many like little bits and pieces. There was also this amazing room in one scene. This is how much I wasn't paying attention, to be fair, to the actual plot of the movie. There's an amazing room that he goes to where he listens to a talk, and the whole room is a chalkboard. And there's like, oh yeah, isn't yeah, that yeah. Cool? isn't that beautiful? When he goes, up, yeah, when Remus takes the whole class up to London to see the uh, the cosmologist guy i thought that was cool um sorry remus lupin and the cosmologist are actually famous scientists whose names i've forgotten just now i don't remember any of those people's names which is why i'm referring to them as Sirius black and david Thule and, and, and remus and <laughs> yeah 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 um so yeah and then like i think you can also see where steven gets all of his personality and stuff from his parents mm. you know and the parents are also refusing to acknowledge that right. this is hard they, they, they buy this house in the country that's got this winding staircase and they, oh yeah but and his family's apparent was no practicality no his family was apparently seen as like eccentric smart people there's a scene where they're all reading books at the dinner table that's apparently something they were known for is that they'd all go you'd go to dinner at the hawking's house and everyone would be reading their own book which i think great. sounds amazing like why can't i have a family like that yeah, exactly. But, well, okay, to be fair, me and Jelly are a bit like that. But, like, I, how cool is that? Yeah, his family were clearly, like, eccentric intellectual types. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, he, I think his parents are Oxford educated as well. And, like, they're obviously fairly smart people. 
And the first dinner that she comes over for is pretty hilarious as well, mm-hmm. with everybody teasing each other and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like Stephen clearly likes it. Like, he, he likes to be involved in all that teasing and right. that stuff. Right, he's really sarcastic and sharp. Yeah, but it also makes him feel normal. Based mm. on what we see in this movie, yeah. you can see those moments when when he's being involved in the conversation and teased and he's teasing back, he feels normal. Well, that's and when they ignore him, he suddenly starts to realise, you know, like that dinner that they had when he announced the... When he got his PhD. When he got his PhD. Were, yeah, and they were just like, they weren't even looking at him. I think that's one of the reasons why... Like, that's why you get stories like Eddie Redmayne's about meeting Hawking, where he, when he can see that people are uncomfortable, he diffuses a lot of situations with humour. Yeah. Um, and then Eddie Redmayne was so embarrassed. <laughs> but anyway. And Jupiter Ascending hadn't even come out yet. <laughs> but yeah, it, it just was like, I liked the stuff that we got from his perspective. And I think the thing about it, and you were talking about it being interesting to see a lot of stuff about caring, but the thing is we've heard Jane's story before. Yeah. And we haven't really heard Stephen's. We don't get to hear from disabled people, and it would have been good to get that perspective and that more. Was, to me, in that a movie was about central, Stephen Hawking. That was the central problem of the whole film: is that he's not allowed to speak for himself. Is that his carer, a woman who was his carer for a long time, speaks for him? Yeah, and my biggest problem with it was that it was just kind of average. And it's all about as a film, not her, as the performances. And it's all about her frustrations with him not wanting to get help and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to. Like exploring how he might have felt, which could have been around he's embarrassed, he has he's in denial, and he has got legitimate reasons for being so. Yeah. Like he's he's like, oh, I, I don't want to be a dis-, you know he's he doesn't identify self identify as disabled really, and that's one that's one of the um things about Stephen Hawking's life is that he's had spent very little time in disability activism at all. A very there's like a very brief period where he needed to campaign at, at Cambridge to get ramps in so he could get into his classrooms, but he has never ever involved himself with activism. So I don't I there's some interesting stuff in there about how he doesn't really self identify as disabled. I can understand that too though. That, for somebody who And that, and, and exactly has he, so much going on. In his other in his life, like the disability is probably the least of his concerns. And right? also he's lucky because Lucky. That was a terrible say, thing to say, and I'm sorry, but his whole thing is 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 his mind, right? Yeah, he, his disability is entirely physical. It's right. not hurting his brain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so and that's one of the things that he points out very early on. What about the mind? Right? Like as soon as he gets the as soon as he gets the diagnosis, and so his whole thing is as long as he can express what's in his mind, and it now takes him so much longer to do that. So. You can understand, like, he's got to get out all the stuff that's in his head yep. in the time that he has to do it. He's um apparently, like, this is just the incredible power of his brain. Because he can't write anymore, he basically visualizes mathematical equations. He doesn't even bother writing them down. He just kind of visualizes them and does them in his head. Mm. It's amazing what he can do with his mind. And I think, like, some more of that stuff would be interesting because the reality is the fact that he has motor neuron disease and is, like, the longest surviving person who has motor neuron disease in the world, or I, I think. There's quite a few people now It's, who it's a lot longer, longer lived than it was in the 60s, but he, he's probably one of the oldest, I think, yeah. that's surviving. That's not the most interesting thing about him, not even the closest to being the most interesting thing about yeah. him. Yeah, I agree. And I think it, it – it, does kind of do him a disservice to not listen to his voice in this story and to make it so – I would have liked to see a little bit more about his theories and stuff. Yeah, I don't think there was enough explanation of that. And, again, I think that's because it's coming from Jane's perspective. Right. Because – Oh, and the God stuff. Just just 
kill me. Seriously. The God stuff was so irritating to me. Well, there is – I think there is interesting story in the whole, like, clash of people who have different belief systems. But the thing is, when she said C of E, I thought she was joking. Like, because in England, there's this long-running joke that when if you don't have any religion, you just say, oh, we're C of E. No, like, my mother was C of E. Right. But, like, people say – like Church in, of England. In, yeah. Church of England, But guys. in England, there's a long-running joke. Well, these guys might not know. Yeah, no, no, I know. But there's a long-running <laughs> English joke that being Church of England doesn't necessarily mean you believe in God or anything like that. It just means that that's what everybody is and it's the default. And I genuinely thought she was one of those. I thought she was joking. But she's oh. actually a believer and she's got quite strong faith. And I think there's an interesting story to be told. I don't think they did a very good job of telling it. Like, it was very heavy-handed. No, that's heavy-handed. why. That's what I meant, yeah. right? It, it's literally a – I'm an atheist. I'm a believer in God. And then yeah. that was it. And, and like, and there's nothing about them talking about it. They just kind of yeah. go, she just kind of goes, you're wrong a lot of the time. And he goes, well, you can say that, but. Yeah. And the thing is, like, there's no sense of, it's clear that her her church gave her a sense of community. And the only way they show that is through her going to choir and meeting the hot choir teacher. Like, yeah. the, instead of being Instead of, there's no nuance to that. He's so cute in this movie. And, and I think that- Sorry. Because for me, like, as a person who is a non-believer in a relationship with someone who is a believer, the biggest, like, reason, I, I, the biggest sort of comfort I can see in faith is the whole community of it. And mm. I think that's what they're trying to get at. And I think that's what she was trying to get at, is that the faith community gave her- a sense of I don't somewhere think to that live. comes across but in it the movie at yeah, all. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't come across at all. Because all she isn't concerned with in the movie, it seems like, is you have to acknowledge that God exists. Yeah. And then this whole thing about, oh, God is dead. God's back on the menu. God's alive yeah, again. Yeah, it doesn't show. There's nothing. There's no. She just says that she has a faith. There's no. It doesn't ever. It's not ever shown. It's not just that. I think it's also the fact that, like, it's presented as this factual thing. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, like either like, there is a God or there isn't. And it's not, it's not that black yeah, and white. Yeah, exactly. It's presented as this factual thing where somehow Stephen Hawking is going to disprove the existence of God as if anything that he does will stop religious people from believing uh, in God anyway. Yeah, like, and, like, that whole conversation, those conversations were just so – and you couldn't and tell if they were joking or not mm. half the time. And they did, didn't stay married for 25 years having black and white conversations about it. Well, they did barely seem to have conversations about it, and when it was, it was yeah. all – and it was all poor Jane is so hard done by because Stephen Hawking doesn't believe in God as well. Yeah, and he, like, he, he leaves such a domestic burden on her. And that's that's a legitimate thing, but, like, it's not – No, 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 not leaving aside that part. Yeah. It, it's, the actual God stuff was very much poor Jane is so hard done by because Stephen won't acknowledge her faith. It was that mm. kind of – you know what I mean? Like, she was like – when she was having that conversation, oh, God's – you know, he doesn't believe in God. He's going to mm. disprove God. It was all like it's so hard for her because he's a scientist and an atheist. It was a very weird thing. And then when she – but it was not clear whether it was being played as humor or not. Yeah, I, it didn't sort of make a lot of sense. Yeah, I didn't like that. That um, And that's why I hated that part. Like, there is an interesting story to be told there. It's just not in this movie. No. And I think that's a, the case with a lot of this movie. I just think it's very much like a – and that's why, again, coming back to what I said in the beginning, this is a TV movie. It is – this is, you know, Stephen Hawking meets Jane Wilde at college, right? They fall in love. They He gets diagnosed. They get married. 
they have a baby, they have a baby. He gets a, a you know, a book. He meets someone, she meets someone else. He meets someone else. He has a tracheotomy. It's that kind of mm. boom, boom, boom. This thing happened, this thing happened, this thing happened without kind of really getting into what it all means and why it's all happening. And, and, and the heaviest stuff is not in here, is it's there either? Very, it yeah, bre- breezes right through all of this heavy stuff that's going on and doesn't want to explore any of yeah, that. Yeah, it's a very, very superficial adaptation of this story. And I think superficial is TV movie kind of material. That's what mm. I sort of feel about it is that you could just – I think this is a movie that for anybody who's listening who hasn't seen it, watch it on TV when it's out on TV because it has great performances in it. It's slightly above the level of other stuff you're going to see on TV. Yeah. But it's also it's – not, it's not an Oscar movie. Mm. I mean, it's not an Oscar movie at all. Yeah, I mean the performances are great. Yes, like but I feel like Eddie Redmayne will deserve his Oscar that he's going to win. Yes, but that's the thing you can you can like you can say I I still actually don't think it's the best performance of the year. But well, you of can, the ones who are nominated, it's Cumberbatch is the best of the performances of the ones who are nominated. I think I think Eddie Redmayne was good. I also thought David Oyelowo. Oh, that's right. Oyelowo is not nominated, although he should be. Yeah. Okay, definitely yes. Um, Eddie Redmayne and, and Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, are pretty much on par with each other for their movies. But I think Benedict Cumberbatch got a little bit more to do because the movie is about him. Yeah. And this movie is not enough about Stephen Hawking, so Eddie Redmayne doesn't quite get quite as much of the good stuff to get into. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, but you can nominate a movie for, for performances without nominating it for Best Picture and all yeah. the other stuff that's going on with this mm. and Best Score, which I thought was so average. Because there's so many good scores this year. I don't yeah. – like, it, that's a totally different thing. I'm but just obsessed I, yeah, like with that I, said, I, I didn't mind this score. I thought it was okay. Yeah, but okay isn't great. And that's the thing. Okay, with all of these Oscar nominations, okay isn't great. Don't give it to it for okay. Give it to a movie that does something new. Give it to a movie that's interesting. Give it to this movie. It was if it was actually telling the story of a disabled person. Yeah. Um. I yeah. Anyway, I I just I liked the score because I remembered it. So you know, they, that's a step above some of the others. Okay, that's fine. Uh, it just annoyed me. That's that's not got anything to do with anybody else. Clearly, I was wrong. I was not. It's not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> obviously yeah um anyway we should probably wrap up okay what are you giving it uh i gave it two and a half stars i will give it three (laughs) okay um thank you very much for listening to the silver screen queens podcast we are contactable all over the social media world so uh if you would like to contact us on facebook you can do so by searching silver screen queens um you can tweet at us at screen underscore queens you can find us on tumblr at tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com you can go to our website where we may have notes on this or we may not, I'm not sure, which is www.silverscreenqueens.com. Um, and you can find my review of The Theory of Everything and every other movie that I watch on uh, word, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.